to the Found Cause, where we found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I am Michael LeMay, behind the machine, and to my right is... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And as is becoming the new norm, uh, virtually across the airwaves, it's... Theodore, under the PC, under the person of Christ. You know, Theodore came to this studio uh, for the first time last week, and he said it was smaller than it looks on camera. Um, I thought it looked kind of that's, small on camera, too, so just... I guess... Uh, I mean, it's a pretty big room, <laughs> frankly. Because um, the wall that you can't see... Uh, I just envisioned that continuing into like a large room, getting, like yeah. you were apportioning a part of a large room. But rest at ease, knowing that I live in a moderate-sized house. Uh, <laughs> today's topic, without further ado, is another top five reasons we aren't. This one is a little different, though. We want to make sure we caveat it. Our previous two were Islam and Catholicism, which we both believe preach a false gospel. One of them pretty obvious. I think everybody agrees that Islam is totally separate. Some would say the Catholics do. Catholics certainly say they preach the gospel. We would caveat that and say they do not specifically trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, which is anathema, as Galatians would say. Um, but this episode is on Pentecostals. And I want to be very clear. We at the Found Cause do not believe that Pentecostals are unsaved. There are many who claim to be Pentecostals who aren't saved, of course. There's many who claim to be Baptists that aren't actually Christians as well. Um, so, And we claim to be Baptists, all three. So it's not that we are, when we say five reasons that we aren't Pentecostals, we're trying to do this in a much gentler way than the previous episodes. These are many fellow Christians and they have many benefits um, and strengths. And I genuinely, this isn't always the case, but a lot of different denominations are a lot like different parts of the body where you've got your legs and your hands and your and your mouths, and it just so happens that Pentecostals are the legs, um, and you need legs. So I, I often find the benefit Pentecostal brothers and sisters get to be good, um, but they definitely have a lot of shortcomings, and I think they're probably the, the denomination that I believe is most filled with true Christians and also I most disagree with, um, if, that, is that, if that's a category. So the most... True Christian, like I trust, if you say you're Pentecostal, you're probably a um, mm -hmm. uh, believing Christian. I mean, with all the general principles applying and discerning that. Um, but I most disagree with it as a philosophy. So without further ado, we've all got different five reasons. We're going to start with the bottom reason. The bottom reason is our least important reason why we are not Pentecostals. And I'm going to kick it to you first, Theodore. Uh, what is your least important reason is that you are yours. not a Pentecostal? And I say this because... <laughs> Of all, we all go to three different churches. You go to the most charismatic church, I think, of all of us, and you've been to an even more charismatic church in your past because you've been to more churches than I. So, um, I'm interested to hear your your bottom reason. Oh, I didn't put my reasons in any particular order, and I don't have five. I have four, but <laughs> <laughs> always the exception. Well, go ahead. T take one of the reasons, then. We'll just work up from the bottom. Okay. Um. Let's say, in at least a percentage of Pentecostal congregations, you're not supposed to oppose or examine anything a superior says, since they claim to have an anointing of God. That's a really good one. I didn't even think about that, but that mm -hmm. is something you see. Do you know the, the what are they? They quote a scripture when they say that, like, "You shall not touch the Lord's anointed," right? Right. Some, yeah. Some verse about David or something like that. Yes, and some do have the rank of apostle, some Pentecostal churches, so they do have a higher hierarchy of leadership in church. And it's odd to me because Pentecostalism as a movement, I guess maybe we should give a, a brief base here. Pentecostalism means that you believe in the continued gifts of the Spirit, 
And officially, Pentecostalism as a movement requires the use of tongues. So if you are truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues. Um, some Pentecostal divisions and denominations have softened on that and they say you'll probably speak in tongues or you're likely to speak in tongues but if you haven't yet or you didn't by the end of your life it's not necessarily a sign that you weren't indwelt by the spirit but in any case pentecostal churches are looking for uh open and obvious filling of the holy spirit that is evidenced with gifts and so um you think that wouldn't have anything to do with their church leadership but it just so happens that because they're looking for signs and wonders there's often a very top-down heavy leadership structure in most every Pentecostal church mm-hmm. that I've ever seen. I'm sure there's exceptions out there, but the ones that you see usually, um, like Bethel and others, uh, River Valley churches here in, in Minnesota, which is like uh, non-denominational Pentecostal roots, Assemblies of God, they have a very heavy leadership structure. And um, it's not uncommon to hear them say, thou shalt not touch the Lord's anointed, i.e. like don't criticize the leadership because you're criticizing God's chosen leader. And I think we can all see the problems with that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, kind of like the papacy. That you assu- you're assuming that their the leadership is inerrant or is always leading the church in the right direction. Right, and I think generally we should submit to authority, um, but you always want to test people against the scriptures. So you can touch the Lord's anointed if He's going against the Word of God. I don't know if you have other comments about that, Theodore, if you've seen this kind of thing happen before or if it's just something you fear. No, I haven't personally dealt with it. I was never really like a member at uh, River Valley or any place like that. And I'm also not bashing River Valley at (laughs) all because I was only there like, I don't know, half a year or a year. wasn't too dedicated, but all my experiences with it were pretty good. Yeah, I mean, River Valley has its positive aspects. I don't recommend it to people as a church, um, but once again, it's not. This isn't me saying, like, death to them, beware of them, they're pagans. It's just, you know, I don't recommend a lot of churches, and I wouldn't recommend them for several reasons. Right. There have been people, for example, Alan Parr, he has a big channel on YouTube. It's called The Beat. He has had a negative experience with Pentecostal churches in his youth so we talk, refer you for more details regarding his exact story but in some places yes it is a very uh, command down down structure in that sense that's a good point that's a good point theodore sebastian i'm gonna throw it to you then what's your number five reason that you are not pentecostal <clears throat> may sound lame and may sound strange too but i see them as being low church even though we just talk about hierarchy what does that mean in the Anglican world, world, there's high church, there's low church. There's something that's more formal, more liturgical. The hats and the robes and the incense and the chanting. Yes. Uh-huh. In some cases, Lutherans and Presbyterians are that way. You know, the robes and the formalities and all of that. And there are many, I have found, pres- uh, Pente- Pentecostal churches that are very informal in how they do service or prayer. So this is my least important reason for the right for the disclaimer. I'm not mm-hmm. uh, criticizing, blasting them, or saying they shouldn't do this. This is just boy, personally, I wouldn't join. They are extremely informal when it comes to the music type. Sometimes I've seen churches that look more like a rock concert rather than a church. Mm-hmm. If you have smoke machines in church, 
you probably need a nap and reconsider your life choices. That would be my <laughs> suggestion. So, <laughs> well, okay. Well, that, that's a valid point. Um, I also put for my number five, just to piggyback chaotic worship. Um, mm-hmm. I went to a mega church that was not, and decidedly not Pentecostal, it was a mega church based off of Baptist roots um, here in uh, Minnesota as well, Eagle Brook Church. In any case, fine church, just like River Valley's fine, like they're not denying the gospel. Um, there are so-called Pentecostal churches that deny the gospel, like we've already touched on oneness Pentecostals, which are anti-Trinitarian and cult. Um, we're not talking about those, so just because somebody claims to be Pentecostal doesn't mean that we're okaying them, uh, just for the record. But um, it's not just Pentecostals who have chaotic worship. But I would say if you are Pentecostal, you probably have chaotic worship. And, and again, it just goes down to weird leadership structures that don't have, they're not rooted usually in, in longstanding tradition. And then two, because of the gifts of the Spirit, <clears throat> they allow people to do what Paul says you should not do in Corinthians. And that is shout out randomly during service and other things like that. And so there's a lot of shouting out and tongues speaking inside of worship inside of service that's disruptive and weird and so um i to talk about whether or not it's ever appropriate is a, is a different topic and we've talked about it before um, but even if it is okay in some aspects it's very chaotic and so if there's ever people rolling on the floor or dancing in the aisles it's just um like Sebastian said, it's not necessarily bad. Sometimes I do think it is bad. It's like against the Corinthians. But even if it's within the bounds that you can have, it's not my cup of tea. And therefore, it's my number five chaotic worship is. And and I, I clap at church, you know? Like, I raise my hand at church. So I'm not some, like, anti, anti-invigorating worship. But it's, like, above, up and beyond that. I have a personal experience, kind of, that yeah. uh, Tasha reminded me about. Um, like, a few weeks ago at church I currently go to um pastor was speaking some good word um and then from like the back left of the congregation you hear um uh, utterings that are not understandable words and I think the pastor just like uh, briefly, slightly smiled and kept going because it was only that. But if it was any louder or if multiple people kept doing it, then yeah, that's obviously distracting from. I mean, everybody in the congregation was distracted at that moment, but right. um, that's distracting from the intelligible words that the pastor is actually speaking. Right. And the, the, the fact of the matter is it's not just an opinion from us. It's from the apostle himself, uh, Paul, where he says, don't speak tongues without an interpreter. Save it for your own private time. So I think that's directly against uh, scripture. Now, that's not life or death, but it is a reason why we're not Pentecostal. And yeah, I, I've also seen tongues um, spoken in service with no interpreter. I think we probably all have if you've been around the Christian scene for a while. So it's not exclusive to Pentecostals, but of course, Pentecostals typically encourage that um sometimes they require it so it's you know specific to the pentecostals and that they, they encourage that all right we're going back around gentlemen number four reason or maybe your number three reason theodore what's your next reason you are not pentecostal i put down unbiblical expectate well again uh reasons that you might i don't know it obviously doesn't apply to all pentecostals mm-hmm. just to say that again but unbiblical expectations or incorrectly claiming 
out of text or out of context or exceptional passages of scripture as if they are uh, the norm mm-hmm. and i assume you mean so, this in the tongues perspective or are there other things you're thinking right um in the tongues perspective but then also didn't uh like word of faith kind of stuff or claiming mm-hmm. promises or claiming thing, name it claim it kind of stuff isn't that like mm-hmm. a splinter of pentecostalism mm-hmm. absolutely yes i think a name it claim it prosperity gospel is um typically one and the same with pentecostalism it doesn't not every pentecostal church is a name and a claim it but there are no name and a claim it churches that aren't pentecostal in my oh, opinion especially with healing as well um right. like one might say god always desires that you will be healed at every time right now whatever and no <laughs> Yeah, so this it God sounds like you're giving a really broad heals. brush and saying they don't read scripture right. Um, they exegete passages wrong, but um, you're mainly complaining Sometimes. about their name it and claim it faith right. faith things. Yeah, I mean, 100% agree. I think that um, if you have ever looked at the church scene for any longer than five minutes, you'll have heard of somebody talking about prosperity <laughs> gospel where somebody's promising that you'll get healed or promising you'll get wealth. Um, Bethel Church, huge influential church out in Redding, California, that I would say is roughly Pentecostal. They're also part of the, um, the I'm already forgetting it now, the New Apostolic Reformation. Ah, mm-hmm. um, and that that's bad. And we've talked about the New Apostolic Reformation in the past. But their main um, issue, I believe, is their assertion, like you said, Theodore, that you will be saved. God desires that all be healed from their sicknesses. And of course, there are those that don't get healed from their wheelchair ridden self or whatever it might be. And therefore they didn't have enough faith and the blame goes on them. Even though again, the lead pastor at uh, Bethel has glasses and he has not been healed of said glasses. So clearly he does not have enough faith, I guess, to heal the glasses thing. Um, the glasses are lensless. They're just for uh, <laughs> style. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but we've talked about faith healing before in this podcast and maybe we will again, but um Without, without extra details, we don't agree with faith healing as a concept. We do believe that God can heal via faith, but it's not a guarantee. And therefore, yeah, I totally agree with that point. How about you, Sebastian, with your next point? I have seen quite often that in many Pentecostal churches, the head pastors are husband and wife. Mm-hmm. and It's that way in River Valley. River Valley, we just keep referencing because <laughs> it's our local big mega church that has Pentecostal roots, and they have a husband and wife duo but i was shocked when i saw it but i shouldn't have been because that's pretty common yes so while by the grace of god that you can have a normal church when that happens but it is no it can be a, a red flag because if someone gets any ideas or they start becoming more authoritarian it's eventually it's eventually in a domineer it's a domineering setting so what you guys been describing on the authority the authority submission that's required of you as a member of such a church i just don't think it's good also you know there's that memo that paul gave us two thousand years ago that i do not permit a woman to teach yeah speak yes in any case in church um i'm gonna play devil's advocate though sebastian and say um if all the pauline letters were were cultural context or whatever else um isn't it good that the that the husband and wife duo are there to represent both men and women up top? And like, wouldn't you want a, a pastor that was married to a really good wife, good enough wife that can also lead the church? 
but it is not but you're assuming then that it is a cultural letter and it is not a prescription that should be excuse me that should be followed because by that same logic you could make the same case for the law of god that was just cultural back then and and they usually do make that case if they're also throwing out the corinthian stuff Um, oh they do yes they definitely do (laughs) they throw out the law okay tons of people throw out the law okay Um, yeah we disagree with that of course if you listen to this podcast for any amount of time we're very pro uh, applying the law of god rightly today in light of the the resurrection of christ and so we do not believe in antinomianism where you reject the law and we definitely don't believe in co-pastoring um, the reasons are, like Sebastian said, and this is my number 4.2, by the way. We didn't coordinate on this. But wow, twin seats. Here, women and men pastors. <laughs> it's, um, there are churches that have women and men pastors um, that I disagree with. Uh, Sebastian's church currently has that going on, and you know mm-hmm. it happens. Um, pastors? Oh, uh, well, yeah, I guess it depends on how you what? define pastors. They got there's, there's definitely not case, a lady case, pastor. Case, uh, I don't mean to step on any toes. Um, there are churches that have both men and women pastors or men and women in leadership, and I think there's ways to discuss how that can be appropriate. Um, but even liberal or churches, or I should say more like like your church, Sebastian, even though like the board, I don't super agree with myself personally, um, they do not cross the line of having women preach. Um, right. Which is pretty standard across the U.S. Like uh-huh. a lot of different opinions on how women fit into leadership, but at least they're not lead pastors. The, the husband and wife duo power couple is so usurping it's so egalitarian it's so committing to culture um i I agree with you sebastian that it's against um the bible as far as the role for women especially in church um i also think it just bodes poorly for church leadership structures because you end up with like not only is it bad to have a superstar rock star singular pastor because he ends up being the whole life of the church and if he dies or goes astray um, there's one nobody to keep him accountable and two the whole church falls apart if he goes away um, you only sent that further with a wife, right? So like she carries in the legacy, like some sort of monarchy uh, on top. But if he guy dies or goes astray, she's left and there's no room for, for other pastors to come and fix it in a more balanced sense. So that's my number four reason. Again, like Sebastian said, it's not the end of the world. Like you don't immediately start preaching heresy as soon as you have a power couple, except I guess you preach anti the Bible or at least you ignore uh-huh. the parts of the Bible say that shouldn't happen. Um, but it's not like it is a immediate canceling of the gospel, but it is an ospigetio. Yes, and you'll make it easier for pride to creep in and becoming self-conceited. And also, it makes it hard to hold the leadership accountable mm-hmm. when there is such a dynamic duel running the whole show. And it makes, in many cases, it can make the congregation fearful of questioning you or even giving a gentler suggestion, not even so much as saying you're wrong, but just you know, giving a gentle opinion, uh, people become fearful because of the authority that you hold. And if the Lord keeps you from going astray, great, but you're just, ma- you're just making it really easy for bad things to happen. That's all I'm saying. Yes. So all that to say, putting the women issue aside, it's especially bad to have the dynamic duo up there, which some would disagree with. Like I've heard people defend River Valley and say that they like the fact that she's got a husband that's over her and that keeps her accountable, more accountable than some unmarried woman who's a preacher. I mean, I agree with that, um, but I also disagree with the unmarried women being preachers. I mean, that's that's also bad. So um, that's a reason that I... And mm-hmm. you see it often specifically in Pentecostal churches. Not to say that every Pentecostal church does this, um, but you see it often in especially like singular independent Pentecostal churches. All right, so that was both of our number fours. 
What's your third point why you're not a Pentecostal, Mr. Theodore? Kind of going along with uh, Sebastian's uh, point of pride and self-conceit, um, mine was uh, like the arrogance or pride of feeling prophetic or frequently feeling or presuming God is speaking to you or through you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So prophecy, false prophecy. Right. When everything needs to be examined uh, according to the scriptures. So, sure, you might get God has given people knowledge, but you check that with the scriptures. Like, uh, you don't proclaim a presidential election is going to go one <laughs> right. way, and then it doesn't. Yes. And, then... and we say that because, if our viewers aren't aware, many influential Pentecostal churches, especially the like prosperity gospel kinds, were aligned with President Trump. And so when he didn't win in 2020, um, they were saying that there was going to be a recount, and he'd come out to be the winner, and they had previously predicted that he was going to win beforehand. So there was a lot, a lot, a lot of false prophecy. Um, and again, it wasn't just them thinking it. It was them saying that God told them so. And then it didn't happen. So clearly either God failed or God didn't tell them so. And God never fails. So God didn't tell them so. So that's the problem. Then even more so, they weren't really united in how they responded. Um, Like some apologized as if saying, oh, sorry, that was a false prophecy. And I should be stoned, (laughs) punished. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah, today's context. Um, But... (laughs) But then others said, yes, indeed, Trump is the president. He is the spiritually or something else. He's the president. So it's just strange. They're just trying to save themselves. Yeah. Save their lying faces. And and to get, to drive home the point of why that's bad. I mean, why is that bad, Sebastian? I should ask you. Uh, because you are claiming to speak on behalf of God and he has not spoken to you. Right, meaning you are... Blaspheming? It's blaspheming. It's also, um, it's the whole Muhammad thing, right? Like, if Muhammad was deceived by Satan into thinking that God's words were Satan's words, um, can you really trust any of his so-called spirit-led stuff? So if somebody has a false prophecy, can you really trust them to be able to lead the church well at all? Because clearly they thought they were being led by the spirit in a way that totally wasn't, um, especially if they don't repent of it. So... We know that the law of God says that a false prophet is put to death. So I don't think we should be in the business of really prophesying at all, unless you are Elijah. Um, I, I hold that there can be. So I'm not a cessationist. I hold that you can have prophecy. Um, but I think prophecy as a gift is really speaking scripture into people's lives as opposed to making predictions for the future because of the the weight of actually prophesying in on god's behalf and how much it means if you are wrong i believe it should get the death penalty (laughs) i'm not gonna get the death penalty you know like let the government do that which of course they're not going to do but i don't believe it's light at all at least it's a sin that leads to death like first john says and the fact that somebody would just be like "Mm, sorry and it happens more not just on presidential elections but you'll see it happen um like my mom has experienced it and i've experienced it and others if you've if you're in churches where people speak in tongues or there's somebody doing that, sometimes people will come up to you and say, like, I have a word of God for you. Oh, yes. Uh, whether, like, maybe you told them about a hard time you've gone through, which is what happened to my mom, or you're just, like, sitting there. Um, depends on your context. Somebody will come up to you and say, I have a word of God for you. And then they'll either give scripture or they'll give you some, some like, word of God. Like, like you will 
you know, you and your husband will get back together or um, you're going to make a million dollars or you should take that boat trip or whatever else. Um, and now I reserve the right for that to be actually the word of God. But we cannot deny that there are times that doesn't happen. Like my mom and dad did not get back together after some weird prophecy about it, um, for the record, like personal experience. And also they'll, they'll tell you to do things that don't happen. And in that same vein, they predicted that Trump was going to win. It's presumptuously speaking on behalf of the Lord. I think if you feel the need to share some scripture with somebody or you think to advise somebody, do not say it in the name of the Lord. It, it could be the spirit of the Lord leading you, but don't presume to speak it as prophecy. Um, I think we need to be very, very careful on that front. Yes, and I would say, I would refer to Jeremiah. Uh, unexpected book on this. He says, I want to stop preaching, but I can't because I feel so compelled by the Lord to speak on his behalf. I'm paraphrasing. And so what I'm saying is, if God is speaking to you and telling you to say something, you will know with 100% certainty that God is talking to you right now, telling you to say something. If you think there's a chance that he is not, you're, he's probably not talking to you, well, just, telling you to say something. Yeah, just, just say it to them from yourself. Like just when Jesus Jesus says, don't don't swear by things, right? Just say yes, say no. Don't say, I swear it's so by the grave of my mother and by God himself. Like you shouldn't do that because swearing <laughs> is serious. So in the same way, you shouldn't prophesy in the name of God. Like if you think somebody should take the boat trip or that you think their husband's going to get back together with them, just tell them like, I think that's the case. Don't use any weird like... The spirit is leading me to tell you. Don't don't even do that. You're approaching prophecy. I don't don't do that. Just say it. So I totally feel the need and appreciate encouragement. <laughs> and I think we should encourage each other and give each other advice and all the rest. Just don't do it on presumption that God is the one uh, <laughs> doing it on their behalf. Mm -hmm. You can tell that's on my list. It's it's even higher on my list than number three. So I'm just giving my opinion on it now. Sebastian, what's your number three? What is my number three? Uh, yes, we have we. You guys already said it, but for me, it is chaotic church practices. Mm. And I do have some examples. You've already listed them, but they do have their own terms, like being slain uh, in the spirit. Oh, yeah. You know what it is, Theodore, right? You have, heard, have you heard of this? Where you like fall down or some in some <laughs> cases, the pastor like waves the hand and then the people just fall back on mass. And supposedly saying you're overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit that you fall that you can't handle it, so you fall down and, and have a, a mini seizure of sorts. I've never seen it in person, but you see the YouTube videos of it. Yes, you see and, a lot of like TikToks where they're playing like heavy metal music and they have the people like spazzing out like as if they're in a mosh pit, but they're really doing like the slain and spirit thing. It's it's chaotic. It's enough. It's chaotic enough that if you take the sound out and replace it with Metallica, it looks like a Metallica. <laughs> You should start a heavy metal band and <laughs> call your band Slain in the Spirit. <laughs> there probably already is. That's a good idea. I have a problem with this because it makes a church look like a rock concert, if not like something else. If people are rolling around on the floor, if they're shouting, you know, you can have a dedicated time for shouting in tongues, but only do it then, not while the pastor is speaking. And if there's no interpreter, right. you know, <laughs> yes. 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 you know, there is a time and place for everything. You can do it in your house too, and you wouldn't disturb anybody except yourself. But maybe uh, the neighbors. But I mean, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. They can, they can handle that. But, but, but I've I've seen people trying to justify the slain in the spirit. Even Michael Brown, Doctor Michael Brown. He's I, I appreciate his channel. I listen to it almost every single day. So, good brother in Christ. 
he just has some weird stuff on beliefs on the on the way the Holy Spirit acts now, such as being slain in the spirit. And I've seen some justification of it. Like when they say that Daniel saw a vision in Daniel 10, his strength left him. He became helpless and he was unconscious, falling down on his hands and knees. But like he also had a vision that we recorded, you know, like. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So he wasn't having, I would say he wasn't having a seizure or in Revelation where the Apostle John uh, hears the thunders of heaven and then falls down as though dead. Well, I would quickly say the context is very important. They were um, having a vision and I would say they were not so overwhelmed by the whole, by the power of God that that caused them to be slain in the spirit. I would say that's a different context. In some cases, like John, they're seeing Jesus. He was seeing Jesus Christ in his full glory. Number one, mm -hmm. Moses could only see the back of God. Otherwise he would die. And I, it's my humble take. I do not think that the people in these Pentecostal churches that are falling down and having seizures, they are seeing the father face to face and living or having visions or whatever else. And the, the embarrassing thing is like that you'll also see on YouTube because this is like the flashiest thing about Pentecostal churches. I think besides the false prophecy, which has its own kind of flashiness, um, is the falling down and the, the freakishness because it's so laughable to everybody. Um, there are direct mm -hmm. comparisons between it and the worship services of some weird Hindu sects that believe in the Kundalini spirit and the like awakening of the Kundalini spirit, which is some demonic spirit, is them like spazzing out and being slain in the spirit just like um, the Pentecostal church's practice. So at least that tells you that the practice is fakeable, if not totally debased. Right. I was going to say there's the Buddhist, Buddhist sects, especially Tantric Buddhism in Tibet, have similar rituals. Many Native American religions, even in Peru, they have rituals that you can get into such a state of ecstasy that you will start fall down and have seizures. So it could be mimicked. And also, if you are truly experiencing the presence of God, you probably die. So, uh, uh, like, you would literally people. be slain in the spirit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you would not be able to get up after that point unless God extends his hand and raises you up from the dead. So, I would caution on that. And the last thing I'll say for the sake of time on chaotic practices many hold to uh, very specific classifications for demonic oppression, like the spirit of Python, the spirit of Jezebel. You have this, they would say, you know, you have the spirit of Python, you're sad, depressed, let's get that spirit out of you, uh, friend. And in many cases, uh, if you can call them exorcisms, or like laying on hands to pray the demon away, mm -hmm. are done, in my humble opinion, in a chaotic manner, in front of the whole church, and it it can't I don't I don't think it bodes well on the church to do an exorcism that way even even if that truly is a demon or uh, some oppression in that person. That's why I don't really appreciate their forms of exorcism or laying on hands to when praying on someone. That should be something that's done privately, and I would say not in front of thousands of people. For, for your that's where the Catholic Church has them beat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know you I mean we've all properly. seen stuff like that right have you ever experienced that kind of thing Theodore or do you agree with this perspective that like the big spectacle pieces are a little much oh right and I was just going to say that they they are specifically for 
uh, at least some of them, are specifically for a display before men. Whereas the examples of Daniel and John were just... Um, In private. They were alone before and under the power of God. Right. Not to say that miracles don't happen in front of people, right. but often they don't. So it's odd that these spectacles are always like in front of people on a stage. Like the excuses they're trying to glorify God in front of men, but it's also a lot of glorification of self in front of men. Uh, right. It's also just not biblical. Like we're saying the whole Kundalini thing and, and public exorcisms just usually aren't uh, biblical. All right. Well, my number three uh, is different and we we've talked about it but we haven't put it on our list yet and that's the requirement for tongues this is like the on paper difference between pentecostals and, and other protestants mm-hmm. and i disagree with it uh pentecostals as a whole again they've some of them have softened on this but officially they usually believe that in order to prove that you've been baptized by the holy spirit you must speak in tongues and i would argue that um tongues is a rare gifting period. So not only is it not a spirit that everybody needs, a gift that everybody needs, I think it's a very rare gift, um, specifically because tongues in the Bible is described in two ways. The only time it's ever referenced in a way that's like the nonsense that people spout now and call tongues is what Paul calls angelic language. Okay, so that's a possibility, I suppose. The angelic language is not an intelligible human language, but Paul also describes them speaking the tongues of other nations, that is, speaking languages of other nations that they didn't know. And so when people babble on, it's clearly not any human language. Um, it's probably not an angelic language either because it sounds entirely like nonsense. Uh, that is totally false, and we should push it just like we push false prophecy out. It's false. It is false prophecy. It's pretending like you're prophesying when you're actually not. You're saying nonsense. And so whether you get that state in a frenzy or you get it um, intentionally, I believe that the requirement for tongues is what spawns that freaky nonsense. And it's in the same level of false prophecy um, as far as I think it should be immediately stamped out. And Paul has strict rules around how you use tongues. In any case, it's not a sign for believers. Nowhere does the Bible require it to be a sign for believers. It is a fruit of the spirit, but it's not a required gifting. And it is mostly used for prayers between you and God. So not so much as a sign in front of mm-hmm. the whole crowd of people. Right. And Paul, Paul says the opposite. It's a sign that you're crazy. So don't like don't do it in front of those without, uh, like other people without an interpreter, mm-hmm. especially unbelievers. And there's some, I mean, you could go to scriptures to show that there are believers that don't have tongues. Um, I think that there's a lot of argument from silence there that you have a lot of people who don't speak in tongues. Um, there are times when people speak in tongues, like the baptism of the... 5,000 Gentiles that come to Christ after Christ descends and Peter starts preaching the gospel. Um, they speak in tongues. Great. But there's also like the centurion's family that comes to Christ. None of them supposedly speak in tongues. And if it is the sign, you'd think it would at least mention it, just like it mentions baptism, but it does not. So therefore, true baptism, true conversion does not require tongues. Mm-hmm. And I disagree with that requirement. So that's my number three. I think it also hurts people. Like it forces, like I said, it forces people to try to speak in tongues, um, which is like trying to force somebody to do false prophecy, um, which is, <laughs> that's evil. Right? Like if I prodded you and said like, come on, Sebastian, do a prophecy, do a prophecy. You're not a Christian if you haven't done a prophecy yet. And then you're like, tomorrow the mega million numbers will be 551675. And then it's wrong. I'm like, well, you, you truly spoke a prophecy. 
totally false. So that's what you end up doing. And Sebastian, you had eight numbers instead of seven. <laughs> I don't know how many there are. It's a really bad, really bad ball frosty there. And so I think you, you cause people to sin, and whether they um, know it or not, right? if they think it's legitimate tongues or not, it's still bad for their, their faith journey. Yes, at that point, I would just start speaking some verses I've memorized in Greek from the Bible, you know, like... <laughs> They're not going to know, so... <laughs> that would be tongues. It would be a different language. Yes. All right, yeah. Theodore. Do you have a number? Well, another one? My last one was uh, related to what you just said. Because um, there's the sense where there's two baptisms. Right. There's like the believer's baptism in water. And then you also must... Be, well muster the expectation is that you'll be baptized in the spirit as and that's when like you speak in tongues or whatever mm -hmm. um yeah that's kind of disconnecting the salvation of god because necessarily if you have a true baptism in christ then there's no other baptism or necessarily the baptism of the spirit will follow and obviously we believe when you're baptized and the Holy Spirit indwells you, and you are sealed with the Spirit, and yeah. Yeah, and they point to, I mean, if you meet Pentecostals, they'll point to the um, one time in Scripture where they, the apostles meet, some of Jesus' disciples meet some Gentiles who hadn't heard of the Holy Spirit, and so they tell them about the Holy Spirit, and then they are baptized by the Holy Spirit there as a sign to them. Um, they'll say, see, this this was belief and regular baptism, and then the Holy Spirit came, as they call it, the second fire, the baptism of fire, whatever they want to call it. Um, but I hold that that was a special time to signify that, indeed, the Holy Spirit was real, and it was a sign to the people that this was mm -hmm. true preaching. Mm -hmm. um, we don't see it happening anywhere else in the Bible, so it's certainly not a normal thing. And so, yes, I agree with you, Theodore, in that we should not separate the baptism of water from the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they should come together. And if you get baptized with water and it didn't come with, with a saving baptism via the Holy Spirit, well, then you probably got baptized too soon because you should be getting baptized <laughs> after your baptism of the Holy Spirit, or at least coinciding with it because it should be your belief, your faith. And I heard uh, somebody mention something else with the interpretation of being baptized with water and the Spirit because that kind of term is said somewhere, but it follows uh, ah, it follows something else that gives it context with, which refutes the Pentecostal interpretation of that. Um, but um, they cited some verse in Ezekiel, I believe, where there's like a sp uh, God sprinkles um, his people with clean water and makes them clean, gives them a new heart and whatnot. And obviously, if God does that, that is the being born again, that's salvation, right. that's justification. That all comes together. It's one, uh, it's one circumstance. Act. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. All right. Thanks. That was a great one. I, I was in sync because it was my number three. It was your number one. Sebastian? My number two... This is getting to the most important one mm -hmm. is work. speaking in tongues. Mm, so okay. I will not beat the dead horse. But what I will say is that I'll be controversial and say that I do not think that speaking in tongues is making moans and groans as they do in church or like something very similar when 
songs like Shakira song like Waka Waka eh, eh. Yes. Waka. Those I would say those are not tongues. And if you're doing that in church, you're not speaking in tongues. Although Waka Waka eh, eh is some African. It is language. in a language, yeah. yes. It's <laughs> ironically enough. But rather I would call that something else. I'll get to that in a bit. They you probably know Pentecostals get their name from the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descends on the apostles and Mary. And then they go out and speak to Persians, Elamites, Romans, Greeks, Libyans, etc. And you notice something, they can understand what they're being said. The word uses in glossa, glossa, tongues, it's also the word for language. So I would say that the gift of tongues, it means that you, you have been born, you were born in the middle of Utah, and then suddenly you are able to speak in fluent Mandarin, by the gift of God. So right. that's what I would consider speaking in tongues. So um, clanking like a cymbal in church and rolling on the floor, I would say that is not speaking in tongues. Yes, That is something very different. I would say that is a valid gift of God, but it shouldn't be called tongues or speaking in tongues. I'll, I'll get to what I think that is. And one of the pastors in my church who is not a lady, but a man, Michael. And yes. <laughs> Sorry for insulting your church, Sebastian, and Sebastian's church. <laughs> he used to go to a very uh, Pentecostal, like charismatic, emphasizing charismatic church. And they would require random people, they would lay on hands on the person, and then they would just sit there and stand there until you started speaking in tongues, like waka waka e, mm-hmm. like that type yeah. of thing. And he felt extremely uncomfortable because he felt like he had to force it out of himself. And I say this because many Pentecostal churches require it of you. You must speak in tongues in order to show that you truly are saved. So then people just say, waka waka eh. There's a big incentive to do it, yeah, falsely. Mm -hmm. And from my recollection, I'm pretty sure you guys mentioned River Valley Church had an event in, you mentioned this today, but in a separate conversation, that they had an event in which many of the congregants w- went to this event and at some point in the event they were all expected to speak in tongues all together at one point you yeah, can clearly see conference. oh go ahead yeah there i went to one of them their holy spirit conference where they like educate you about the holy spirit and what scriptures say and then it gets to this one point where there's prayer time and then they have a bunch of people to the sides um, who will like pray with you or help you or encourage you to speak in tongues. And <laughs> I did go to the side, but I didn't speak in a tongue. Um, so that's too bad, but. Well, you spoke in American. That's not <laughs> did? Yes. You can see how this could be damaging for a youth growing up in the church as I am not. Sp- I am not able to do this naturally. I feel like I have to fake it or force it every single time, because I would say rightly, not every single human or Christian can do this. Mm-hmm. Only very few people can, and you can damage someone's faith by making this a re- an absolute requirement, even though many are softening up on the requirement of speaking in tongues. Rather, I would call this a different kind of groaning. From Romans eight twenty six, I'll read it. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. 
And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You might be saying, what did you just read, Sebastian? I, when I first read this, immediately I started thinking of waka waka ee sounds. So I would say that rather than speaking in languages, what they're doing is they're many many who are actually really able to do this and then faking it or getting in ecstasy are channeling prayer and through groans and moans that are not actual words. Like animals, you are expressing emotion and prayer towards God. So I am I am willing to give grace and concede that it is possible that that is actually what is happening in their prayers. Now, they should probably do this at home and not in the middle of the church. More than probably, it's explicitly said. <laughs> yes, <but> yes. <laughs> just being I'm just being diplomatic mm-hmm. in that sense. Yep. Okay. Well, you did beat the horse, um, but we beat it thoroughly. So number two, we don't like the requirement for tongues. My number two, we've said it already, so I'm definitely not going to beat the horse. It's false prophecy. You already heard my words about it. It's super prolific, especially with the Trump election, but it always has been. And I think with tongues combined, you should not force people into something that's blaspheming. I think it totally is blaspheming. And not only is it totally tolerated because of the toleration of all the gifts of the Spirit in Pentecostal churches, it is encouraged often, false prophecy. It's never punished. I mean, I've I've never heard of punishment in Pentecostal church for false prophecy. I think it should be strictly punished. So that's just something that really grinds my gears. So it's my number two. Mm -hmm. Theodore, you are all out um, of reasons. You're at four. So unless you have another one, I'm going to skip to Sebastian. Sebastian, what is your number one reason you are not a Pentecostal? Faith healing. Ah, yes. Growing legs and replacing lost toenails. Yes, or being able to see again and not need glasses, but I've heard you know they're fake. (laughs) Right, I see this as the uh, again, we consider many Pentecostals brothers and sisters in Christ. So this isn't a just an attack, more like a constructive critique. I think that this belief can be extremely destructive for the faith of new converts or even experienced Christians with expecting that God is going to heal if you pray enough or if you follow certain routine or practice, do it with the congregation, lay on hands, whatever you want to call it. And to say in some cases that if it doesn't happen, it means you didn't have enough faith. I think that is extremely destructive because we have zero precedent in scripture that God is going to heal you 100% of the time. I would say that that is a terrible belief to either preach on or expound. I believe wholeheartedly God can uh, grow one of your limbs. If you lost your legs in the war of Afghanistan, God has the power today to just, just like that, grow your legs back. Uh, We're not fully cessationist in the sense that there's no miracles happening today. I believe they're as common as they used to be, clearly. But miracles can happen at any point in history. God can act and has acted now, just not as to the extent as he did in the time of the apostles. But to expect that healings must happen is a, I would just say, it's a terrible, terrible thing to preach. Yeah, and you're right that it that it destroys people's faith. I mean, there's whole ministries built off of trying to rescue people from faiths that were shaken because of false faith healings. So when he says faith healings and he just described it, but he's not rejecting. And so I also don't reject the possibility for real healings as a result of faith. 
um, but we are rejecting the demands from God put on faith by faith healers that say, if you have enough faith, this will be done. They quote the Matthew passage where they say, where Jesus says, if you have enough faith, you know, this, this mountain will move from here to there. And so they say they can be healed. We've addressed it before, um, but there are a lot of, that, that verse in Matthew is taken out of context. Jesus is talking about specifically the apostles and specifically um, that particular mountain. So a I'm not going to get in that rabbit hole right now, but just to say faith healing destroys a lot of people's faith because ultimately they aren't healed. And we have precedents from the Bible that Jesus does not heal people because they have faith or not. I mean, he heals that one guy sitting by the pool at Bethsaida um, just because he's sitting there. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He has no faith. He's not, he doesn't have enough faith to get into the water. He's just kind of sitting there like mm-hmm. chilling and being lazy. And Jesus heals him and not all the other people there. So clearly it was not uh, choosing off of faithfulness. It was just Jesus choosing to heal and it's the same today. You could be extremely faithful and God specifically decides not to heal you because he's got a different plan. In fact, and I'll say this and I'll be quiet then, Jesus even quotes to the Jewish leaders the fact that Elijah went out of the country to Phoenicia. And during his time, he says, how many widows and orphans were around in the time of Elijah? Mm-hmm. But instead, the only person that experienced the miracle was that Syrophoenician woman. Mm-hmm. That was when that allowed Elijah to stay in her house. So clearly God doesn't heal every single person, even faithful Jews that were living in the time of Israel is what's implied there by Christ. Right. And I'll just take my number one too, because it goes right along with it. I said the prosperity gospel. Faith healing is part of the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is simply the belief that because you are faithful to God, he will give you good things. So he'll give you wealth. He'll give you healing. He'll give you health. Um, he'll give you friends. Um, we all believe that God blesses his believers. And we we definitely believe in the scriptures that Jesus says um, that the father gives good gifts to his children and that you as parents know how to give good gifts to your children. They're kind of sucky because you're just a nursery father and you're evil. Um, but God is going to give you way better gifts. But we know that the ultimate gift that Jesus is giving us, that the Lord God is giving us, is life forever in him, a new spirit, a new heart, the new heavens, and the new earth. And so our inheritance is in the Lord. So even if he were to give us nothing but poverty in this life, which he does sometimes, it's up to his discretion what he does in this life, it is still good. It is a good gift to that particular person, and they will inherit everything in the next life. And so we have no guarantees of health, wealth, or prosperity, because while God often blesses people with health, wealth, and prosperity, let's like don't don't think he curses all Christians with poverty. He warns Christians that you may very well be cursed with poverty. You may very well be cursed with um, attacks from your neighbors and all that. Um, I don't think it's a guarantee either way. I think you're guaranteed to struggle for Christ in this life, but you're not necessarily guaranteed poverty. Um, in any case, uh, I know Theodore's got to go, so that's my number one reason. We've got a number one reasons. This is us, the found cause. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, we found our cause in the Lord Jesus Christ. Across the street has been... Theodore, under the PC. And I maybe another time where they can go elsewhere to check on uh, 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul says, basically, not everybody's a prophet, not everybody's a miracle worker, not everybody has gift of healing, not everybody speaks in tongues, etc., like that. And then... Uh, 
Amen. Sorry. Yeah. And I've been Michael Bama behind the machine. And to my right has been Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Thanks for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can go to foundcause.podbean.com and download them all for listening pleasure. But if you want to go to facebook.com forward slash foundcause, you can find our faces. We're also on YouTube, of course, where we've been extremely successful as of late. We're also on iTunes and Spotify and wherever so you can find your podcast. So until next time, when we talk about something completely different, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.